The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 4 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, we'll be focusing on tech and innovation within the retail sector. We'll be talking to retailers who are utilising new and transformative technologies to support their business, as well as deep dive into the stories of startups who are taking the lead on retail innovation. Joining me today on Retail Therapy is Victor Dominello, the New South Wales Minister for Customer Service and Digital Government. Victor has been a minister since 2011 and has held a range of portfolios previously, including Aboriginal Affairs, Citizenship, Finance, Services and Property. He's been responsible for the state government's digital strategy for a number of years now and is well regarded in the tech and innovation space. We're very sad to hear that Victor will be retiring from politics at the next state election, and there's no doubt he'll leave a wonderful legacy when it comes to improving the customer experience and the way people interact with government services. Victor, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. When people think about digital transformation, they don't automatically think about government being a natural leader. There's a perception that they're not all that tech savvy and that they're slow to adapt when it comes to embracing digital innovation and improving the customer experience. So how have you gone about turning that around in New South Wales? Well, I think in fairness, the perception was grounded in reality. I remember to fondly those days in the RTA where you would literally have to take half a day off work to renew your driver's licence. So people had a fair expectation that uh, government wasn't very good at delivering when it comes to tech. The journey really started in 2013 when we started rolling out Service New South Wales and and we, we could have put a shiny banner at the front door saying Service New South Wales and it's brand new. But what we did is we changed the culture of the organisation by making sure we had people from the outside world uh, together with people from government uh, that really did have a customer focus. And bringing those people together really was the genius of the, the, the culture change that is service. And then that continued to roll out through then the Department of Customer Service. And I think we're at a point now where I, I say that we're the largest start up in terms of thinking in the country. Well, look, you've been upfront about that at times on social media, highlighting the difficulties people have, have in dealing with government when it comes to filling out endless forms or renewing licences. You've digitised a lot of processes in your tenure as Minister. What have been some of your proudest achievements? And is there any unfinished business, anything that you still have on your to-do list? Oh, there's always uh, lots of things on the to-do list. Proudest achievement would be when, you know, it's a team achievement, it's not just me, probably the digital driver's licence because that was an identity play, so we had to get it right. And when we did it, it was nerve-wracking, to be honest, because if we if we failed, it would have taken us back 10 years yes. um, because we would have lost the trust. But uh, when we did launch it, we got to about 25% adoption. But then uh, throughout the pandemic, we used that platform basically to then instead of doing other things, uh, we had to put that on the back burner. We did the QR codes, Dine Discover vouchers, you know, a whole lot of things, basically 
backed on the digital driver's license. And we're now at 75% adoption, which is extraordinary. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And has there been any sort of sense where you take the driver's license example, has it been many younger people that have taken up their digital licences? That's a reason I'm particularly proud of the DDL. Uh, when you look at the pie chart, uh, is a fairly equal distribution around the ages. So, because oh, I would have thought, yeah, I would have thought initially, oh, this is going to be skewed towards people under 35, for example. But it's a fairly equal distribution. That's fantastic. So tell us a bit more about the evolution of the service, New South Wales app. I don't think many people knew it existed before the pandemic, but they certainly do now. It's not that long ago that we had to check in and out of venues everywhere we went, but it serves a much greater purpose than that now, doesn't it? Oh, definitely. It's 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 digital infrastructure. Like we keep talking about roads, rail, school, hospital, the bricks and mortar, the concrete infrastructure, but mm. the, uh, the service app is, is honestly one of the most valuable bits of digital infrastructure the state's seen in the last decade and we've seen that come to fruition throughout the course of the pandemic uh, when we were using it to keep people safe and businesses open so the the evolution of that was in around 2015-16 we service had an app already but it was a typical garden variety app uh, that uh, government would put out which was not very good to be honest and we may have had 40,000 people using it even when they were using it as sporadic at best. We then launched into the digital driver's license. And when we did it, we designed big, built small, because we realized that after, if we got the digital driver's license right, then that would be the first of many credentials we'd want to put on there, uh, whether it was you know, the trade licenses, the white cards, the working ritual checks, the whole lot. So when we rolled it out, we launched it in 2019. And as I said, we got to about 2018-19, then we got to about 25% adoption. Pandemic hit in 2020, and thankfully, Gladys, who was the Premier at the time, invited me to join the Crisis Cabinet because she wanted a customer-centric and, and data-driven approach. We realised that the, the way to get through to 8 million people in New South Wales was predominantly through the app, and that's how we really pivoted fast. And, you know, the rest is history, as I say. Mm. You're also trialling, um, I understand, birth certificates as well. It's currently being trialled. Is that, is that correct? Oh, yeah, birth certificates. There is honestly so much in the pipeline. You know, digital seniors card. I want to digitise a seniors card as well because why is that important? Well, obviously, we want to keep seniors on the digital journey because they a yes. lot of them got uplift during the pandemic. But why is that important? Because if you think about health and the other big game change in, during the pandemic was telehealth. Mm. Now, you know, most of the health expenses occur in the in the latter parts of your life. If if people and seniors are, are more confident because of the seniors card, then they're more likely to embrace telehealth, which is going to be wins all around. So it's not just birth certificates, seniors card, uh, the health or patient app, uh, the pet registry. There is just so much we're building out. Um, digital ID, which is just so important to getting so many things right. Yeah, it's an exciting period mm. for the people of our state. And, and tell me, Service New South Wales has certainly set the standard across the nation when it comes to streamlining government services. How have you gone about affecting the change? Because it mustn't be easy when you've got such a massive bureaucracy and dealing with government departments that are additionally hesitant to embrace change. Well, there were th- look, there are three parts or three ingredients to this. The first ingredient is 
you have to get the structure right. So when we started, we had a executive committee of cabinet delivering performance committee that basically said, look, we're not going to approve any new policy settings unless it's customer centric, data driven, uh, you know, digital design with all the, the key features there. So that's one thing. The second big thing was that we put money towards it. So, you know, we had the vehicle, but we needed to put fuel in the engine and the fuel was the money. And that was the $2.1 billion digital restart fund. So that means that uh, we said to the agencies, look, you're not going to get access to this money again unless it's a whole of government approach in terms of putting customer first rather than silos first, digital and data being core to that. Then the third big change came because the service app, I think, has driven change. Before, four or five years ago, when I was going around to other ministries and saying, well, can you please collaborate with us because, you know, we want to try and have this customer-centric approach to government, I was getting a lot of lip service. Mm. But people quickly found out throughout the pandemic that all of a sudden, if they wanted to deal or, you know, talk to or communicate with or transact with the people in New South Wales, you've got 75% that have downloaded their driver's licence and 92% have used the Dine Discover vouchers in terms of adult population. So now rather than me going to them, they're going to us and saying, can we collaborate with you? So I think they're the three big things that have really changed the game here in New South Wales. Oh, really interesting. Now, I know you've got a good relationship with Ed Hughes because you're equivalent minister at a federal government yes. level. Yeah, what, big, big fan of it. What do you see as national priorities when it comes to data, tech and innovation? Well, with Ed, um, he's got his own channels that we need to collaborate on. And, you know, uh, Katie Gallagher's got, uh, I think she's going to focus on digital ID and we can work really well there. And Bill Shorten, again, uh, focusing on government services. Uh, and lots of opportunity there. But I think with Ed, I don't want to speak for Ed because I value his relationship and his leadership. But from my perspective, the education wallet is something that we can do together. Education wallet is about, you know, your micro and macro skills. And forever, we're always talking about skills. And in our space, you know, whether it's the hospitality industry, the tech industry, everywhere you go, there's a skill shortage. If we can create a skills wallet or an education wallet, it's the first time ever that we actually see the pipe between supply and demand. And this is a huge microeconomic reform around labour market mobility and labour efficiency. Mm. And if we can land this, it will be one of the first of its kind in the world. So I think I'm really excited by this. Really interesting. And I know that the federal government are looking more and more to micro-credentials to this whole concept of lifelong learning. So having that digitised makes it really easy for the user. But equally, I guess, when they're going for jobs and being able to prove that they've gone and got been through with those courses, accredited or non-accredited, they've got that all up there as close as their iPhone. So it does Absolutely. make complete sense. Absolutely. And then from a labour market mobility, we actually can see then the pipeline. And once yes. we see the pipeline, we can then say, because you know, right now we can say, look, we know that there is a demand for metaverse engineers. We've got 500 job applications for that. And last week was only 200, and the week before that was 100. I.e., there's an upward trajectory. We can then call year nine teachers and say, this is where we need to shift. Mm. Uh, it, it's literally real time. It's, it is so powerful. 
and it's so important that we get it right. Really, really exciting. Now, what about the role of government and how they collaborate with tech startups? I've been keen to hear your view on, you know, I'm sure you've met with plenty of people over the years and how important has that relationship been in terms of building on the government's own tech capabilities? Oh, critical. Like the tech startups, uh, they are the most agile and quite frankly, uh, the most innovative. They are, they are really at the cutting edge. So when government collaborates with the tech startups, we, we grow a leg, as it were. Uh, and I'm really proud that uh, under my time, we created the Sydney Startup Hub. And I was just there recently. It's it's just a fantastic forum for the startup community. It's, it's interesting. I mean, in retail, we've seen such an acceleration of data and digital trends in terms of how people do their shopping. More and more people are getting the things that they need with a few taps of their fingers. And our advice as an industry association to small businesses in particular is to continually invest in your data and digital capabilities. What are the risks for businesses, do you think, and for the economy more broadly, if innovation is not a priority? It's, uh, it's Jurassic Park territory, isn't it? Right. Like if, if, if you're not in the data digital customer game, then you're on your way out. That's the plain truth. People can order food on their phone track the delivery on their phone to their door, pay for it on their phone, and then review the food and the service on their phone, that's where people want to be. They don't want to then go back to pen and paper. Um, They'll just go to a a place that provides that, that seamless customer experience. Yeah, agree. completely agree. The dedicated portfolios for digital government or innovation are now the new normal across state and territory governments. But a decade ago, it wasn't really on the radar. Do you think governments in general are still playing catch up in the digital space? And is it now getting the attention it deserves? Uh, we are still playing catch up. A- again, uh, there are so many examples in the private sector where I see great digital product. And I think government needs to be there. But there's so much more we can do. Again, I think about digital identity as being critical. I, I, I look at um, you know the credentials, whether it's the their trade licenses, the uh, responsible service of alcohol or gambling, or all these things. These things need to be digitised and in your wallet, your smart wallet of your choice. And then there's the trustworthy elements, whether it's privacy, security, transparency ethics, inclusion, all, all of these pieces come up to represent trust in the digital world. And if government is not in that space, then they are not serving the people they're elected to serve. Absolutely right. And I guess um, that's a really lovely way for us to, to bring this conversation to an end. But we are very sad to hear that you'll be retiring at the next state election. Uh, you're coming to the end of a 14-year career in politics. What's life after politics look like? What does the future hold for you post-March 2023? Whatever the universe wants me to do, I'm happy to do. So I, I, honestly, I, I, you know, I've got you know, a limited amount of time in, in my current role. And I know that it's so hard to get into parliament. It is even harder to get into government. It's even harder to be, become a senior minister. So I've got limited days to make an impact. So I'm just focusing on that. And then after that, I've got plenty of time to to let the universe craft my next journey. Well, let's hope you get a break in there, um, Minister. Victor Dominello, thank you so much for joining us on Retail Therapy. Congratulations on all your achievements in government. All the very best for the future and for your life post-politics. Oh, you're good, man. Thank you again for having me. 
Joining me for a quick chat is Simon Holloway, co-owner and head of community at VeggiePod. VeggiePod create portable, durable and self-watering raised garden beds which take all the guesswork out of growing your own veggies. VeggiePod was founded by Matt Harris in 2009 when he failed to grow his own veggies and realised there must be other people having the same problem. The raised edible garden bed business really started to take off when yourself and Matt's brother Paul joined a couple of years later and the original design was reinvented. As a now well-established business, how do you continue to innovate and respond to customer feedback? Yeah, well, um, we're very blessed to be able to uh, be in contact with our customers all the time. Um, in Australia alone, we do an average of six shows a month. We're, we're glorified carnies in a way. We, uh, we're out and about from, you know, the really big shows, the Sydney Royal Easters right down to the little ag shows and vegan festivals and smart water product shows, you name it. But the, the main point there being we are constantly talking to our customers, constantly receiving feedback, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It gives us ideas. Uh, it lets us know where we need to improve things, and uh, I wouldn't swap that for anything in the world. We need that direct contact. VeggiePod have experienced huge growth in recent years and are now available in around 20 countries. What strategies have you used, including your partnership with American Express, to achieve that level of success? Yeah, look, we've uh, always asked for help. It's an old common one, isn't it? But when whenever we've grown, we've always looked to other people who have succeeded before us. Uh, I always say to people, don't be afraid to ask for help. Human beings generally like to help other human beings. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter how big or how small they are or how big their persona is or not. If you ask people, you'll be surprised how many times uh, they will come back to you with help. So we've constantly asked for help. That doesn't just be to other entrepreneurs and other business people, but people within government, people within, um, you know, the accountancy and the finance spheres. And indeed, you know, that included Amex, you know, when we needed to get out to further customers and and uh, know how our customers spent their money on facilities, uh, they helped us. So, uh, yeah, just get out there and ask anybody and everybody for help, basically. Simon, you've been an American Express shop small merchant for a while and recently took part in a masterclass to share your knowledge with other small businesses. Can you tell us why that's important to you? Is knowledge sharing part of VeggiePod's ethos? Yeah, well, how could I put that former answer uh, across without then giving back? Um, of course, it's it's one big sphere of information. If you get yourself involved in giving information, I can assure you, you are always going to be learning something as well as you uh, as you impart your knowledge. So, uh, if I ever get asked to give uh, some help or, or some information, I, I find that as a privilege. And I know that generally, you know, given thou shalt receive, as long as it's not contrived, uh, one will receive stuff back. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Therapy, brought to you by our season partner, American Express. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give the show a follow on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of episodes on our website. We've covered leadership, small business and sustainability. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes.